Welcome to The Real Deal, where God, His purposes, and His people are celebrated. I'm Rachel Inouye, bringing you encouragement through real life, people, and their stories. It's The Real Deal. Hey, let's get started. So I have my brother-in-law, Ken Tarter, with me today, and I'm so excited because we are in Maryland, and we are snagging a time to interview for the podcast. But before I ask you the rapid questions, because I just want you to say these without thinking too much, just give it to him. I, first of all, want to tell you that I respect you and I honor you. Oh, thank you. You are an amazing man. And some of the things that I wrote down as I've just been sitting here is you're kind and you're loyal, you're amiable, you're a connector to people immediately, you're a family guy, you love your wife and your son so much. You are a guy that makes a way, and you have a get-or-done spirit, and I think that is kingdom in you. So thank you. Thank you for even doing this. very kind. Thank you. I respect you highly. Love you deeply. I hope you already know that. Yes, I do. Okay, these are rapid fire, as fast as you can. Answer. Don't think too much. Just answer. Are you an introvert, extrovert? So that's a, compli- that's a complicated question really because is. fundamentally I am an introvert, but I have learned to be an extrovert. I kind of think you're a trained extrovert because of what you have to do, but yeah. Okay, coffee, tea. <laughs> Rachel, these are very difficult. Are these meant to be easy? Well, I like I'd... them both. Okay. Uh, probably prefer coffee, latte okay. for sure. Dog, cat, either, neither. Dog. Okay. Morning bird, night owl. Morning. Books or movies? Movies. Would you consider yourself leaned in or laid back? Leaned in. Shower or bath? Shower. Driver or passenger? Driver. Do you like to eat at home or dine out? Dine out. (laughs) Okay. I think I would have gotten 100%, but okay. So you know that this is called the real deal, and my dad, Richard, was Richard Dean, so RD. He would always say, just be the RD, be the real deal. And he literally blessed us at different family events. I wouldn't say every time at all, but he'd say, just be the RD, be the real deal. And he was always telling us that, as an artist... Leather should be leather, shouldn't be fake. And you should be able to see the paint on a painting and the grain in woods and and the authentic. He would call it the real McCoy, genuine article. Don't be fake or phony. And I think it really affected me. And I I can't say that I've never thought like, oh, I like her hair. I kind of like the way she acts toward people. But I've always wanted to be Rachel. And I think that was a gift my dad gave me to just be the real deal. And when you're trying to figure it out, sometimes it was just easier for me to be like, this is who I am. This is what God made me. So with that in mind, who in your life do you consider to be the real deal? They are authentically them. And how did it affect you? Can you think of anybody that's just the real deal? The reason I'm hesitating is I'm going to be 62 years old, yeah. and I've met a lot of people, and I'm trying to think of the very best mm, example. Yeah, and you may have dealings. more than one, and there you may feel like, oh, in fairness, I'd like to say so-and-so. But just off the top of your head, who do you think, oh, they're just who they are? Well, I do not have a personal relationship with David Platt, okay. he is a guy that I think is the real deal, living okay. out an authentic, Christ-centered life. Okay, that's a good answer. How does that affect you? Oh, he's a phenomenal example for us. Uh, every time when when he's giving the message on Sunday, I feel like we've been on such a wonderful, highly personal journey mm. through the scripture that he's teaching about. Yeah. And it's, it's extra special. And mm. my whole family has really enjoyed that. That's so good. And that's in Maryland or no? You go to? No, that's in uh, Virginia. Virginia, yeah. right. Right, I remember that. Okay, I want to just tell a little bit of background to how um, we met. 
then never would have thought that you would be my brother-in-law. Like, like I didn't know Michael at the time either, for that matter. I mean, I knew of him. but okay, So we were in college together, didn't know one another. You were a fraternity boy. I was the little sister of that same fraternity. And it was our assignment as little sisters to have to go and get a certain number of acquaintances signed in a little book. And so it was formal in a sense to me. It was like... I'm I'm pleased to make your acquaintance. Will you sign my book? Or may I please make your acquaintance? Could you sign here? Or I don't know. But for me, coming from Iowa, this little girl, I don't speak like that. So for me to walk up and be like, may I please make your acquaintance? <laughs> just felt so strange. But I remember you were standing by the fireplace. I remember where you were in college. You mm. probably wouldn't remember it at all. Because I do remember it. You do. And, and I remember you signing my book. And how significant or... Whatever is there any highlight or one thought you remember about being an SAE? Anything? I think I learned leadership. Yeah. Because I ended up being the president yeah. of SAE, and I really learned what it was like to work with a diverse group of people. Yeah. Different ideas, different thinking, different objectives, yeah. and that was really the takeaway for me. And you are a leader. And you know when groups get together, sometimes they say, even if you're not assigned, a leader will emerge. And I don't always have to be the leader. You maybe don't always have to be the leader, but you probably have often found that you're the leader, correct? Yes. I think I was the little sister of Minerva leader. <laughs> One of the years I had to learn like Robert's Rules of Order. I move. Oh, we second this. I, I still like, remember you looking up at me because I was taller than you. At the, <laughs> and sure. you were like, too. you had the little book and you seemed a little nervous about asking me for my signature. <laughs> I got to go over to Ken the Darter. I got to go ask him for his. Anyway, so now we're family, which seems so funny. And yeah, that was a very, very long time ago. Okay, here's a question I want to begin with just out of my own curiosity. What is the first stamp in your passport? Would you even remember when you first left the country, where was it? No, I don't remember. If um, not, name places you've been. Just rattle off some. You want to hear all of them? Just rattle off some. Okay. British Virgin Islands, London, Frankfurt, Germany, uh, Spain, Lisbon, the Azores, Turkey, Russia, uh, let's see, Ethiopia... Dubai, Ras Al Khaimah, Japan, Philippines, China, Hong Kong, it's almost the same now, Kuala Lumpur, Taiwan, Mexico, Canada. That's a big list. A decent list. To sure. be honest, I know 90% of where those all are, <laughs> but I don't think there's, I mean, Andrew's really good at that, not me, so <clears throat> yeah. Anyway, so when I ask you that, Tell me a little bit about how you developed a love for travel, a love for the people that you're going to, or a love for missions. Whatever, I mean, like something about it is drawing you there. What is it and why do you go? I think I ha I'm not an adventurist, but I really love the adventure of traveling. And being immersed in other cultures is exhilarating to me. Mm -hmm. And I think traveling like that to some places is a skill that you acquire. And I think I'm good at traveling mm -hmm. and I really love to travel. But I have to think that God gave me that desire to travel to the nations. And I didn't know exactly what that was going to look like because you know my trajectory changed one day about 15 years ago when I was invited to go to Turkey for the first time. Mm -hmm. And 
work on a project that I had no knowledge of and frankly didn't know anything about the Great Commission or anybody who was working to you know, live out the Great Mm -hmm, Commission. mm -hmm. And it changed my life forever. Mm -hmm. And it was a supernatural week. And so what's been fun is to see my business experience along with my travel experience be used to build God's kingdom in unreached places of the world. So cool. Yeah. And did that, did you ever think those two worlds would converge? It wasn't like a design of yours. I I was ignorant when I went to Turkey, honestly. I didn't really understand what the Great Commission was even about. I certainly didn't understand what people were doing when they were living in that context. I was a completely ignorant Mm -hmm. person. Is there a place, Ken, that you've traveled where you, you felt like, I'm a fish out of water here. I just don't know how to respond or act. And did you feel that way anywhere? Or have you ever been frightened or afraid or have you ever been fearful or is it just kind of like okay new place and you don't have to say where it is because i'm not trying to diss it yeah generally i don't feel frightened or afraid there have been a couple times when we've been traveling in some remote areas in an african country Mm -hmm. and the two of us were traveling into some areas that were a little questionable they were about in one case, 40 kilometers from the Somali border. In another case, there were about 120 kilometers. And there was a gun in the glove compartment, and there were places where we absolutely could not stop for any reason. Yeah. And um, I remember... When you say the two of us, who are you with? Our partner, a partner. in the country. Okay. Yeah. And there was, <laughs> it was probably a little bit irrational on my part, but we were down in one of those regions that was, you know, it didn't see many people from America there and Mm -hmm. the hotel was out of the 40s or at least I sort of think it was all I could think of is I'm going to be kidnapped I am going to be taken from this room and I thought to myself I need to make sure that I've got my contact case and all these other things in the event that someone (laughs) snatches me out of this room and I thought well that's really a dumb thought do you think I'm going to have time to grab the stuff that I'm going to need oh Pause for just a second. Hang I need on. to get my contact case. No, not likely. <laughs> it was it was an irrational thought, but it was. It was know, a real small one. Ho- small motel was patrolled um, with people with machine guns. It was very dark, and there's no real latch on the window. And I just thought, oh my goodness gracious, you yeah. know this is quite kind a of place. a scene from like one of the movies you've seen. Honestly, oh you for could, sure, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's that's good. So what is the most recent trip you've taken and how have things changed because of the pandemic for you with travel? Well, I think the last trip I took was to Ras al-Khaimah, one of the United Arab Emirates. And then we did a trip into Oman from mm-hmm. there, which is right next door. Mm-hmm. And I've been there. Loved it. And it, it was a very, if I could just digress for a second, it was a very yeah. interesting trip to go over to Oman. Yeah. I had never been there before. And you know, we're traveling into some really remote areas, very, very desolate, mountainous, rocky, yeah. not friendly stuff. And we were coming back, and there were what seemed like a hundred boats coming out of the harbor with two men on each boat, both dressed in black. And we were like, what is that? And I mean, they're like, boom, 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 rapid fire right out of the harbor. Okay. And the guy that we were with, he said, well... That's the daily run over to the shores of Iran to get the things over there that are not allowed. Oh. 
cigarettes and all of those kinds of things. Yes. And I thought, now this is very interesting. And probably there was no risk to us. It's what they do every day at the end of the day. But when you're looking at the shores of Iran and you see these guys just rapid fire out of there (laughs) heading over there, it was a little unsettling for a little while. But then we came to understand what it was all about. And, you know, you're just kind of confronted with that reality that, you know, you're not in America. Yeah. Things are different. Right. Right. So we're always mindful of that. Um, So when you leave a country, you know, we get our exit passport stamped, you know, that whole thing. Is there a place that doesn't leave your heart? Yeah, Istanbul, Turkey for sure. Okay. Yeah. It probably because that's where I think I was truly transformed and specifically called. And it's a wonderful place. I mean, I love Turkey. I love the people, love the food. It's just a very unique place. And because it sits right in on the the crossroads between Asia and Europe, and it's just a just a particularly unique place historically. Um, I love that place, and honestly, I could live there yeah. without too much. Interesting. Yeah. And the people that you met as well are there some that wiggled their way into your heart, or the place in general, like the culture of it all? Oh well, yes. I mean, that's for sure. I mean, the question is, how many stories would you like me to tell about that? But yes, of mm. course. Mm. I think any time that that I am in those places where there are unreached people, it's very difficult to not... You can't leave that country without being changed and recommitted to getting the gospel into the hands of unreached people, whether it's Turkey or Russia or wherever that is. But I think I'll always have a fondness for Turkey because... Yeah. I almost think that's where my awakening took place. That's so cool. And can you tell us, like, is there anything, or tell me if there's anything that you felt like God was peeling off of you or adding to <laughs> you, or was there like a moment where you felt like you heard him speak to you? Were you in the word? Were you, how was this manifest, <clears throat> this awakening? Just tell me, because I think it's awesome. Well, like I said, it was a supernatural week. Okay. We were with extraordinary people doing some difficult work. Okay. And I've always felt that when I am in a context like that where where you're specifically there to do kingdom work yeah. and serve God and you're there with open hands and an open heart, for me, it's always easier to listen and hear God in that context mm. because I have a singular purpose. Mm. And I think that's why I get so moved when I go to those places and I don't have the noise from the radio or political discussions or traffic or any of that. Whatever the distractions would be. It's a singular purpose. We are there to share the gospel with people who have never heard of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. And so that just, that makes it extra special. You know, sometimes people hear of Jesus or the story of the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, whatever you would want to say. And there can be multiple times that it's told and a pastor years and years ago told me, or there's the effectual calling of Christ, where it means it meant something to you. And we know there are people that sit in pews, have heard, have heard, have heard, and then it was like zing in their heart, like, oh, he loves me. This is for me. Do you have a moment like that? Or do you know a time where it was like the gospel became more than sort of religion to you? <clears throat> I think every trip that I've been on, it has been like that. 
I'm refocused. I have a very specific calling in the context of the Great Commission. And it, it has never left me. It's probably been 14 or 15 years since I've been working in this environment. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's what I would have to say. When you go, do you go with a particular agency or with a particular group or is it just you find different ones that are needing to go to different places because i would hate to not say it if you wanted it said is my point i work with an organization i will not name the organization that's That's what i'm wondering and i've served on the board for a long time and we work to create business opportunities in hard to reach places Mm -hmm. so that people who are working in the field have an opportunity to have a legitimate reason to be in country Mm -hmm. qualify for a work permit and have better access to people that they wouldn't have access to otherwise. Yeah. So So, you really pave a lot of ground for them by helping them do that. And Paul, that was his example. I am a tent maker. I'm not just going to share the gospel, which I am, but I have a reason to be. For sure. And it's legitimate business too. It's not tent faking. It's it's truly tent making. Making. Cool. And, you know, I've been um, on other assignments with other groups, primarily working with partners that might be part of the church or, you know, other people that we know. And it's always my specific goal. And I think a lot of times the people that I'm with is to bless the people who are already working in country. Exactly. It's not, we're not the drivers. We are there to bless these people and help them travel down that path because indigenous people are the best people to do that work. It's our goal to help them get there. I believe. It's yep. my job. To Come do. alongside. Yeah. Not we yep. swooped in and we're the big savior of everything and we got all the answers. Yeah. In I, fact, I would agree with yeah, you wholeheartedly. Yeah, I just am very, yeah, it's yeah. very important to me that we not do and that. And there are some examples of how that goes so sideways if you try <clears throat> to do that. But, mm-hmm. okay, um, can we go to a different tack for a second? Sure. How did your love of water begin? Well, I think that came from my parents at a very early age. I want to say... Around five years old, I think um, my parents got their first boat. I remember riding in that boat. I remember the smell of the boat, the fiberglass. Wow. And we used to go boating on a river near our home, and that's where I learned to ride on what was called a zip sled. It was a blue thing, and Me you stood too. up on it. Yeah, yes. that's a big thing. With a rope behind it. And Think then, surfboard, but a little bit Yeah. Flatter, wider. Exactly. Yeah. So easy to stand up on. And then I learned to water ski. And then we ended up spending a lot of time at Clear Lake over the years. My parents mm-hmm. got a little place there. And I think it's, I think a lot of times we are what our parents teach us, mm-hmm. frankly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where my love of water came from. Yeah. Yeah. It was learned. I have a lot of memories of your dad <clears> on the boat. You know, I, re- I really do. Mm-hmm. He loved the water. Yeah. He liked to be out on the water. Yeah, that's good. It's very peaceful. Yeah. So you don't, I don't think you've lived a uh, year without boating of some sort since you were able to, <laughs> did you get your boating license like with the minute you could? Well, I never actually needed a boating license. Um, really? No. Until I don't need old one because to... I'm old and, yes. you know, I'm grandfathered right, 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 right. into that sort of thing. Right. So I don't. Right. I've taken a safe boating course just so I have the certification, but I don't need it. And you have a love for all boats. You started mainly sailing, correct? No, it was first on a power boat, then sailing. No, I like them both. However we get on the water, I don't really care. But yes, I mean, you know, I've sailed across the Atlantic, which was extra special. And so how did you find out about doing that? 
The man that Susan worked for at the right. time had a 92-foot sailboat, and he was moving it from Florida to Italy. And he wanted to know if Kenley would like to go on the trip. <laughs> and, of course, my wife said, well, I'm pretty sure he would. And so I got to go along as guest slash crew. Nice. And it was a wonderful journey. We left Florida. It took us 13 and a half days to get to the Azores. Stayed there for about three and a half days. I came home. The boat went on to Italy. It was very sad. Yeah. But wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful. Went swimming in the middle of the ocean. 16,000 feet, feet deep. deep. Can you imagine? No. We didn't stay in that long. <laughs> was it cold? I don't think it was that cold. <laughs> I think I was worried about the fish that were looking at me down below me. <laughs> You're definitely more of a boater than a swimmer. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And you have a son that's a swimmer. Yes. Big, big time swimmer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Tell me what you want to... Well, number one, I want to make sure. Tell <clears throat> me what you want to about a time in your life that God showed up to be real to you. You needed him oh. or he came through or he same, seemed real. Like Because I, I, he is real. <clears throat> I don't mean seemed real, but you know what I'm saying. I'll give you the abbreviated version of okay. this story. Susan and I bought the current company that we own, and it's abundantly clear after several years that that was actually not the door that was open to us. Okay. It wasn't what God really wanted. It was very clear now in retrospect. And <clears throat> we bought the company in 2003, and in 2006, you know, the economy peaked. There was the housing crisis, and then just for the next several years, it was downhill. And it was a relatively new company for us, and it was extremely rough. I had a $100,000 line of credit that was fully drawn with a bank, large bank. We had an acquisition loan, fully relying on vendor credit, and we had sold off assets to keep everything going. You know, We had staff at the time. Even friends said, look, I think you should just consider declaring bankruptcy. And I said, I just don't think I can do that. I, I think it's wrong, frankly. My wife felt that that was a pride issue for me, mm. but it actually was just, like I thought it was the, the wrong thing. thing to do. And I just, I just couldn't live with myself if I didn't make good on those commitments. And when it was a, it was a very dark hour, I was standing in our library looking out the window. I remember this. I thought, we can't go any further. We were as far as we can go down this path. And I honestly don't know what to do. Yeah. Susan called, and she said that her former employer wanted to know if she'd be willing to come back and serve as an interim CFO for the company. And I was truly rendered speechless. Yeah. And to say that doesn't even, doesn't even, it doesn't even share with you what that was like. And I thought at that moment, I actually understood what grace and mercy looked like mm -hmm. and felt like. Yeah. I walked around our house. I was there alone. One of the dogs was there. And I'm pretty sure I just mumbled. I just was in complete disbelief mm. that this mess, you know, having walked through a door that I wasn't supposed to walk through, that out of this mess, he came alongside of me, put his arm around me, that's what it felt like, and said, 
I've got this. Wow. Never will I forget it. And I've told that story many, 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 many times Mm -hmm. because that was another transformational time in our life. I think I've always suffered from materialism, you know, wanting to be just idolizing material Mm. things in the world. And I guess I always thought I was in control. And, you know, when you hear that God uses all things for good, that's exactly the truth. Wow. And he did. He peeled my fingers off the steering wheel and he pruned my vine down to the nub and said, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to redirect you. Yeah. And I always thought, what an idiot I am because I thought I was out of myself as the pilot and I was rescuing this company from almost crashing mm, into the ground mm. and then I would pull, pull it up, up and <laughs> I, 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 right. Mm. What I realized, I'm not even in the cockpit. <laughs> I'm not in control. It's not me. And those were some really important lessons. And I'll tell you another thing that came out of that is I realized that God will give you exactly what you need, exactly when When. you need it. Don't ever doubt that. Even when it's a dark time and you think there's no hope, trust me. So good. There is hope. So good. So those things, I'd say going to Turkey and going through that horrific financial experience changed the trajectory of my life. And I am so grateful. And I don't want to go through something like that again. But if I had to, I wouldn't worry like I did before. Amen. Such a complete learning. Like literally, it's not... Head knowledge learning, it is part of the fabric of who you are. You trust your father. He completely is in surrendering mm-hmm. to God. Mm-hmm. Period. Mm-hmm. Let's pause a second. If you are enjoying The Real Deal with Rachel Inouye, subscribe, rate, and review it. I appreciate your support. All right, back to The Real Deal. Open hands, open hearts. Right? Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Yeah. And all these things will be added to you, but we tip, we tip it the other direction, try to seek, 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 seek. And, you know, yeah. So I've since so learned good. that watching for, prayerfully considering the road signs, I always think of them as road signs because I've always said to God, I'm so dense, you know, please light the path, especially light for me. Mm. But I've learned over the years and through those experiences to pay more attention to how he's directing me. And when it's not right, don't push open the door that is not open to you. And that is a very important lesson for us. Yeah. Yeah. I I heard a pastor say this once, and I do believe it's true, that God makes a way, and he's a leader. And, you know, there's even a part of Old Testament where it says, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. He's not always in front, right? right? And so there's that sort of, but if somebody's behind you and you're blindfolded and they give you the cues left or right, you will be able to do it, right? So the thing that he said that I liked was he said, you don't have to shove something or rush something of God. Mm -hmm. He doesn't push us. He leads us. And so I've thought of that with people's relationships. Sometimes they jump at something or they go fast or somebody tells them, you've got to marry me tomorrow or you've got to do this business deal. And you always say the person who leaves the table or can leave the table. Walks away from the table always wins. Always wins, right? Because you're not feeling rushed or shoved into something. I mean, it holds true in business as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so God's a good leader. God's been good to you, mm-hmm. and because he loves you, because For sure. you're his son, and he loves you. 100%. Yeah. 
So do you want to just tell me anything else about how you met Susan or how you felt on the day you were a dad or just anything? Because I don't want to cut you off. And I I know that we could have multiple interviews with you because, like you said, you've lived a long enough time. God's been faithful. And there's lots of great stories. But I just want you to share anything about meeting Susan or how you guys met or anything about being a dad for Sam or whatever you want to share or anything else because you said to me, you tend to answer the question that was asked, which I appreciate. <laughs> I will answer but, for sure. But I also want you to say something because on the other side of this, the real deal is ministering to people. And it can be because it was funny. It can be because they heard a real story. It can be because it was so poignant. or It doesn't matter. Let's just let that go because I believe God causes listeners to end up with interviews and episodes. Mm-hmm. So feel free to share whatever. Well, Susan didn't really want to marry me. or maybe it was just the idea she wasn't really ready to get married but uh anyway that why do you say that did she hesitate to answer (laughs) (laughs) she told me that (laughs) like in the after the proposal or in life well it took her seven days to respond to my proposal so that wasn't exactly an encouraging sign were you pacing well, I was wondering why she wasn't saying yes, but I do remember when it happened, um, so that was good. Yeah, I mean, Susan and I, we're a lot alike in many ways. We're very strong in what we think and how we think and just how we sort of manage our lives. And sometimes that can be... A little bit of friction. A lot of friction, but we've learned how to work through all that. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that I'll always remember, and for a long time I was very upset by this, neither one of us wanted to have children. And I was pretty committed to not having children, and, you know, there were some good reasons for that. And Susan turned to me one day and said she thought God had spoke to her and wanted to have children. And she said it in a way that, frankly, I didn't really appreciate all that much. But I have forgiven her for that. And the good thing is, the best thing is, God was right. She followed that prompting. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness, Mm -hmm. I followed too. Mm -hmm. And we had our wonderful son, Sam. And uh, he truly has been the greatest joy for us to raise. And, you know, the relationship continues and Mm -hmm. we adore him. Mm And super grateful that we had one child. And when we were thinking that we wanted to have another, the door had shut uh, for having children because Susan was 40 when we gave birth to, when she gave birth to Sam. And we just missed it. But to be honest, I mean, there are pros and cons, right? I mean, yeah. to have one child, there's a different kind of relationship compared to having multiple children in the household. And, and I think because we had one child, we we were able to devote all of our time and attention to him Mm -hmm. and answer all of his questions. I like to think that we tried to answer all of his questions. And, um, yeah, that's a pretty special thing. Susan asked the question yesterday, I think, uh, maybe it was the other day, that I think she asked you guys, or maybe it was Michael, and she said, what would your ideal life look like? And I thought... Well, that's kind of curious. I think it looks like the life I have right now. Isn't that great? I don't have many regrets. I mean, there are a couple of choices I would have made differently when I was younger that 
maybe would have put me on a different professional path. But I don't think that I would seek to shake up my life in some way and say, wow, it'd really be better if we had this or this or this. I really feel that it's where I'm supposed to be and what I'm supposed to be doing. And I don't think I could change much about that, frankly. Yeah. Well, there's an observation that I want to... um, I could talk to you a lot longer. We could do many, multiple episodes of this. Michael would have to divide it into multiple episodes. But for now, I, I would like to let you know that I think two things that stand out in my mind for you about you is that you're kind of an on-time guy. Yeah. You know, chop, chop, people were leaving in so many minutes, you know, oh, and you give goodness. a good warning and everybody knows. But I actually think God's been an on-time God for you. For sure. And I yeah. think you reflect that part of God. Oh, like he's going to have it happen. He's going to make a way because that's kind of how you reflect Daddy God. Yeah. You make a way, you do things. He's using you as an executor to do those kind of things, yeah. you know. And he's on time and he's been on time for you, you know. And the other thing that I would say is uh, you whistle. Yes, you I whistle do. all the time. You walk around and you whistle, and I think you have a song in your heart, and I think that's placed from God as well. I mean, yeah, it could be a country song you're singing, it could be a pop song you're singing. <laughs> I don't mean it has to be how great thou art that you're whistling, but God has given you a song in your heart, and I think you, ooh, I think you'll carry it until the day you die. I think so. Too. I think you're a man who's got a song, and that's beautiful, and I Thank honor you. that in you. Thank you. So, anyway. And we always tease, uh, there's a lot of Kenisms in our family. (laughs) You know, when kids don't get to spend time day in, day out with somebody, but enough intense time, then they'll have little stories. And man, my kids always have thoughts about Uncle Ken. So I really appreciate you doing this today, yeah, Ken. I you're do. You're welcome. It's it's been sweet. You're Can welcome. I just pray over you and your family and your business? I'm actually sitting at a beautiful table that is definitely from a boardroom, and I'm in an office area, and you know, Ken has collected a lot of officey <laughs> things because you've done a lot of big, gorgeous <laughs> chandelier above us. Because you've been in a lot of places. I mean, political yeah. places, business places. You've just been in a lot of settings. And I think that there's a lot of really healthy and wonderful things that you've gathered along the way. And you've kicked the dust off of things you don't need anymore, which is good, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very liberating, for sure. It is. Anyway, can I pray for you real quick? Yeah. Before you do that. Yeah, please. I really want to encourage who ever is listening yeah. to this podcast and hopefully they haven't shut it off already. no they haven't i'm telling you i have a real sweet following they love the real deal because every time is different because isn't it like the snowflake yeah. nobody's alike yeah i think god has a perfect plan for everyone who can hear this interview don't doubt it not Hallelujah. for a second i think charles spurgeon even had a daily devotion about that you know You could be tossed around on the sea and thrashed around on the rock, but God will never leave you. Don't even dream of it. And he he has a wonderful plan. He sure does. And just don't ever think that he doesn't. Mm. That's so good. That's so good. I agree. I agree. (laughs) I forgot to mention that in the the midst of all the debt that we had accumulated in that terrible trial, we were able to pay off every penny. Oh, golly. Not one person didn't get paid. I asked for their patience and their trust, and not one person didn't get paid. That was not for me. No, that's so good. 
That's a glory to God thing, right? You know, people say you rob God of his glory. I think one of the ways we rob God of his glory is if we don't tell the testimony of what he does in our lives. So thank you for sharing it because it's, it's testifying to him and it's encouraging to somebody else that that's the kind of thing God can do, right? It's awesome. That's right. Okay. Well, let me pray. Father, thank you so much for Ken. Thank you for who he is in the kingdom and what you're doing in his life. I just bless him. God, I bless him from the top of his gorgeous head of hair to the soles of his feet. I bless his relationship with my sister-in-law, Susan, that you'd bless their marriage, that you'd bless Sam in all his endeavors. I pray that you'd bless Ken's business. God, I thank you for the way that you have given him things, uh, creative ideas, solutions, um, advancements, that you would pull out his tent pegs into places, God, that you have him to go. And I thank you, Lord, for the testimony that he's given of a big God who's got big plans for him and it's continued to execute them well in his life. So I just pray, God, that you'd just continue to be the shield around Ken and the lifter of his head. And thank you that you've protected him in multiple places that he's gone. And I thank you that you promise to protect his coming and going both now and forevermore. And we take you at that promise, God. Thank you for his relationship with Susan. Bless their marriage. And I also just thank you for a time to get to spend with him, God. And I just thank you for each listener, Lord. I pray that Ken's words would resonate, that God has a plan for you, and he's working all things out. So even today, if you're discouraged, I just pray a blessing over you, too, that you would know that you know that you know that God is going before you. He's also your rear guard, and he looks on you with favor. His smiles upon you. So just go with whatever you're doing today, wherever you are, and just be who you are. You're a masterpiece, and God created you. So just be the real deal. And I bless you today, audience, as well. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, that's a wrap. You've been listening to The Real Deal with me, Rachel Inouye, helping people celebrate their significance and the genius of God in them. Audio engineering by my husband, Michael Inouye. Thanks, babe. Theme music by Andrew Grace. 